Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, we're so pleased to have as our in-studio guest today, Dr. Catherine C. Aquino, who is the co-editor, along with Dr. Yunin Kim, a edited volume titled Disability as Diversity in Higher Education. This is a very important topic, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so happy to have Dr. Aquino here. Dr. Aquino, welcome to the program. Thank you. Before we jump into what I think is a very, very important work, um, Disability as Diversity in Higher Education, published by Rutledge Press. Did I say that correctly? Mm -hmm. Very good. Could you share with our audience a little bit about your education and background? Absolutely. I have a, a bachelor's of science in psychology, a master's of arts in school psychology, and I recently completed my PhD here at Seton Hall in higher education leadership education. I'm sorry, higher education policy. And um, when you talk about policy, why is that important? For education? Yes. Not only is it the end point when we think of within governments and creating code and laws to really drive schools and drive educators to make change, but policy even is in a, a smaller conversation of within the classroom. You know, how can we look at certain things and say, you know, how can we improve this? Policy sometimes might be an intimidating word. Sometimes we think as educators, maybe it doesn't apply to us, but in fact it does. And, and policy can occur on many different levels. And currently you're working at which institution? New Jersey City University. All right. And what are you doing there? I am currently the program specialist for accreditation and assessment for the College of Ed. Very nice. Very nice. Just recently, we had the American History High School of Newark, New Jersey here. And they specialize Excellent. in a program of children with autism. Wonderful. You know, so when I, I saw the press release about your book, I said, I have to have them on the program. And uh, Dr. Kim, she, to our audience, she sends her, her regrets because she is uh, busy uh, with a faculty search, from what we understand. Otherwise, we would have had them both. But she says Dr. Aquino will do a fine job, which I'm sure. So tell us about this disability as diversity in higher education. Why is this topic important? When we think about disability, or, or I should probably take a step back of how disability has been framed in the past, has been through what we previously spoke about, the medical model of disability, where disability is looked at as an impairment or a limitation for that individual. And we have to create policy, we have to create support, because something is wrong and we need to fix them. We need to make sure that we can accommodate their needs, um, because they're Essentially, their functioning level is not up to what maybe a student without a disability needs. This has really driven uh, an individual's experience within society and more specifically uh, an individual within education. So whether you are in a K-12 environment and also in higher education. Now, what we were doing was seeing that this model and really the reaction of it has created discrimination, has created stigma to those with uh, self-identified disabilities. And within K-12, it's interesting. A student has a self-identified disability and they have a team around them. They have teachers, they have principals, school psychologists to advocate for their needs, to accommodate their educational experience so that they can have the best academic, really academic 
climate, environment, so that they can excel and get to the next step. However, when they get into higher education, it's basically 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Now they have to self-identify on their own. So no longer do they have this team of support, this IEP team, um, but instead they have to I'm sorry, you just said IEP? IEP, so individu Individualized Education um, Program Team. Okay. Mm -hmm. So really um, an IEP would be just a plan in place to uh, give them the support and need um, in their educational environment. Now in higher education, they have to not only self-identify, they have to identify where the disability support office is and, and really have to be more motivated to do this on their own, something that they have never experienced in the past. So there's really a limitation there. And when we think about higher ed, as another point, we, we think about how maybe in student life activities, how we discuss in class, really student diversity and how we embrace it and like to talk about it and like to advocate for the need of a diverse environment, how wonderful that is and, and what that brings to, to the student life. Why is a diverse environment important? What are the benefits of a diverse environment? It allows for additional perspectives. It allows for conversation. It allows for not that single note. It allows for the conversation to be had because if we are not able to be in a setting where we hear new ideas and, and, and new commentary, are we really able to learn? Are we able to change? Are we really able to grow? So taking all of those ideas together and thinking about where disability often was and, and really it's evident in the literature where discrimination and stigma was so uh, connected with student disability in higher education. We said, well, maybe a larger conversation has to be had. Maybe, it, it's not so crazy, but maybe it should be just an automatic component of student identity. When we think about student life programs, why are we thinking just about gender or sexual orientation or race and ethnicity? And why isn't disability always included? Perhaps it should. So we wanted this book to not only bring the student perspective, not only to bring the faculty and administrator perspective, but to think about theory and just commentary and, and maybe case studies of what is happening around the country. And that's how this book occurred. Wow. Recently, as we were talking in a pre-interview, um, me and my colleagues, we produced a conference on accessibility. And what was very, very shock shockingly was that a lot of folks who have these disabilities can't get access to the basic material that other students have but once they get access they can get access to the information they excelled yeah if you were not given the opportunity for something that is essential in learning a book uh, um, uh, an ebook uh, anything you are at a disadvantage. And because we think, well, we have it in one format and not the other, well, it's okay, we, could, we can make that work. But in fact, it's not. So to think about publishing and accessibility, it's another conversation that needs to be had. And I, I don't think enough people are having conversations on that. So, you know, something that you said to me, I wrote down, disability and stigma. And one would assume that that would extend beyond higher education into the professional career, whatever Absolutely. it might be. Absolutely. So when we think about just national stats, so individuals with disabilities often have uh, a, a decreased rate of completion in the K-12 sector. 
they have a decreased rate of getting into higher education, successfully transitioning in. They have a decreased rate to persist within higher education. They have a decreased rate to then successfully complete higher education. So it makes sense, sadly, that at the time of employment, if they were or were not completing higher education, they have decreased rates of success, of access, and that really hinders them on a long-standing time. And I, I, I was um, I was awarded a grant, and it was through the Social Security Administration looking at the disability determination process, and I was using a national data set. Um, looking at individuals who have social security income and SSDI, things like that. And when I was taking my findings out to conferences and, and speaking to individuals who serve as like staff members for disability offices in higher education, they were so candid in saying, you know, I, I know students who have the ability to accept these funds and they're so nervous about continuing their education because they they don't want to lose those funds and th i think there has to be um a larger discussion and i think it has to be brought down by like federal um <laughs> federal agencies to say you know what just because you might have a disability or just because you have access to these specific disability-based funds that doesn't mean that your life ends and you just collect a check. You deserve the opportunity to learn and to grow and to experience higher education and to experience employment if that's what you want to do. So what is your hope for this edited volume? I hope it brings a larger conversation for administrators and faculty. Now, I had a psych background, so by default, I would read into disability, I would be interested in just engagement, uh, collaboration with individuals, just overall integration within specific environments. So by default, I was kind of just interested in this. But thinking about maybe a faculty member in a science department, maybe they don't have exposure to this in their academic background, and maybe they don't have any interest to to read a book. But maybe this this edited volume can kind of let them peer into an idea that maybe didn't even, a, a light bulb maybe didn't go off yet. I hope this book allows that light bulb to go off to say, hey, maybe there are students in my classes that need additional attention. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Dr. Catherine C. Aquino. She is the co-editor with Dr. Yuning Kim on an edited volume titled Disability as Diversity in higher education policies and practices to enhance student success. Quite frankly, do you think that maybe some of the K through 12 would benefit from some of your, your lessons as well? Absolutely, so there is this amazing scholar um, out of the CUNY system, um, David Connor, and he and his colleagues actually produced a book I believe it's called Rethinking Disability, and it, it has that same idea within the K-12 side. And, and I have actually reached out to him, and, and we were having conversations about how our texts kind of mirror each other. And there are pieces currently related to K-12, which is great, but sometimes with K-12 literature and higher education literature, there, there's a bit of a, a gap in between. So maybe having 
books now available, the next step could be, okay, let's talk about that transition because that transition is so important. And that trans the transition, what we see in the research, is sometimes very detrimental to those students. That transition period really could make or break if they're going forward with their education, will they persist with their education? So I, I think that transition period is that next area that we really need to sink our teeth into. So when you talked earlier, you talked about, is it the IEP? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you find that the higher education universities have this type of support? No. Are they starting? Well, okay. I, I don't want to say no entirely. No. Sure. So how we know an IEP team in K-12, like I said, we have teachers and parents and, mm -hmm. and social workers and school psychologists having annual meetings to support the students to see, you know, where can changes occur? How can we better improve their, their educational experience? With higher education, they have the support with having a disability support service office on every campus. Um, that support may range depending on the institution by maybe the number of staff members in those offices, maybe uh, the number of students on the campus that they could actually uh, help. It's a, a much more bare bones approach to what they've experienced with the IEP team in K-12. So yes, there is... And that's where that transition Correct. Is right, yeah. So yes, there is legislation to help them um, be supported in higher education, but that picture looks much different than what they've experienced for the first 18 years of their life. So there's a great opportunity there for uh, higher education institutions to create this environment because there's a lot of great minds out there. Yeah, and, and another thing that's really important to talk about is that in higher education, they have to self-identify their disability. So a couple things happen. They have the opportunity to self-identify to their disability support office and, and receive accommodations if that's what they feel comfortable in doing. And they can stop self-identifying at any period of time. They also cannot identify because of maybe they think stigma will occur or maybe they think I'm okay now. Um, and it's also a variation of where they can self-identify. So they could maybe possibly self-identify to one support office, but perhaps now with my dissertation I used um, a large data set and one of the questions that the survey asked was, do you have a, a disability? And I would hope that the people who are self-identifying with their disability support office in, in their institution are also saying yes, but you could see where variation could occur. So a larger conversation is happening and there's a wonderful organization AHEAD, so the Association of Higher Education and Disability, AHEAD, AHEAD.org, wonderful, 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 wonderful organization. Um, and they're having a conversation right now of maybe standardizing what disability data collection looks like. So when you self-identify, like where is there inconsistencies there? When we say disability, does everyone have that same definition of disability? And oftentimes we think of disability in the aggregate, but in fact, it needs to be disaggregated. There is such variation of what a disability could look like. So there, we, we need, we need a, a lot of work. We have a lot of work ahead of us. But can, you, can you give us a little uh, description or example of the various different types of disabilities? Absolutely. So maybe when we think automatically of disability, maybe we think of that wheelchair placard that we might see in a restroom or by um, a car decal, something like that. But are we really thinking of mental health? 
Are we thinking about psychiatric disorders? You know what I mean? How Are we thinking when we're thinking about disability, about bipolar disorder, and do we really know the intricacies of that diagnosis? It, it, it can get sometimes murky for those who don't have that background or don't wish to see it beyond that physical disability wheelchair placard. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how comfortable are we with ourselves to discuss that as well? So this association, I want to make sure I got it correctly, mm -hmm. Association of Higher Education Disability. And Disability. And yep. Disability. And you pronounce it as? Ahead. Ahead. Yes. Okay. Um, how long have they been around? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, probably for, for a long time. several years. They have wonderful conferences. Um, and they really have great conversations. They have wonderful webinars. Um, and I think they're just trying to get this message out there a bit more. It's focused, obviously, to individuals who work in disability support offices. Um, but I, I think they're trying to have a, a broader reach, which, of course, is necessary. I feel in higher education, sometimes we get stuck in the area that we work in. So I'm, I work in accreditation and assessment, and I go to accreditation and assessment conferences by default. And, and this happens with development and, and alumni relations, all these things. But sometimes we need to do these broad stroke conversations regardless of what department we work in or what academic area we teach to. Right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to share with those who have just joined us, we're talking to Dr. Catherine C. Aquino, who, along with Dr. Yunan Kim, are the editor, the co-editors of Disability as Diversity in Higher Education, Policies and Practices to Enhance Student Success, and it is published by uh, Rutledge. Rutledge Press, and you go on Amazon.com, uh, you'll see the book there. The reason why I am stressing this is that um, we all, within all of our families and communities, we know someone who has a a particular disability and I feel that the more that we are educated the better we'll be able to help and serve those around us to make it a, a great harmonious uh, uh, human interaction if you will in, in acceptance and so your current work of accreditation what do you look for in regard to making sure that folks are following a set of rules or guidelines. Tell us about that. A bit unrelated to my research interests, but my professional role is accreditation for College uh, of Education, so mm -hmm. teacher preparation programs. Mm -hmm. So making sure that our candidates successfully complete certification areas. Um, mm -hmm. When they complete, that they are hitting specific marks with state requirements. Um, are we properly evaluating them throughout their program? Um, are we tracking them after completion? So I have a couple hats right now. couple hats, life. okay, okay. But I, I guess the reason why I ask is I was curious as to teachers who are teaching to students with disabilities, mm -hmm. um, is this included in their curriculum? Uh, that, that's a wonderful conversation. And another piece just to add on to that, think about the individuals who are preparing as, as teacher prep candidates and maybe do not have a certification of, of uh, teachers with students with dis uh, teacher of students with disability a TOSD so if we're just uh, a teacher who have who has no um, additional special education coursework what about them so of course there's going to have a conversation in in uh, programs that have that special education dual certification item um, that by their schooling they have preparation for but there are teachers right now that don't have that. So 
I would be more concerned for teachers who don't have that special education mm-hmm. background. And, and it happens. And what about um, daycares, after school programs? What's amazing when camps. you think about exactly how, how an individual with a disability, and, and you don't have to be outright with your disability, you can keep that to yourself. That is your information. But how many different environments they would just be in on a daily basis and how many interactions would occur and through all those interactions are we properly addressing their needs i don't think we are just because we're aware of the potential needs that could occur now are you and dr kim going to uh present some of what you have written in this book at different conferences um is, is, what's are, next? Are, yeah, what's next? Are, are those opportunities available to you? So um, I will be going to AERA, which is a, a large national education conference at the end of this month, um, presenting on some other research work that I'm doing, but I know that Rutledge will be there and selling the book. <laughs> I'm well aware of that. And then I will be at the AHEAD conference in July, and I will have a a research project that I will be presenting with Dr. Kim, and also um, PTI, so UConn, the University of Connecticut, um, their education department has um, a wonderful annual conference, the PTI, so the Post-Secondary Training Institute related to disability, and I'll be going up there as well, and and the the founder of that conference, uh, Dr. Joseph Maddows, he's really a wonderful scholar related to disability, um, and he's been very supportive, and he actually um, acknowledged the book, so so we'll be, we'll be quite busy over the summer and sharing I, I, I'd like to stress to you, if you could, um, there's something called Periscope. Are you familiar with Periscope? I believe so. It's a it's a, a video service provided by Twitter, where you can stream. Okay. Yes, I've actually seen this in a class. Classrooms use this, correct? Is is that? Possible? That's a good. Qu- I'm not sure. You can. I mean, it's. I, I think I've seen a, um, a, a special ed right. based classroom using this. The reason why I like to stress that is because you're really doing very important work. Thank you. And when you're speaking. If you could have someone to periscope it, that means that it could be saved, it could be chunked and put up on YouTube or Vimeo, because there's a lot of families out there that are searching for information. They're searching for answers. And so the more that we can educate them, the more that we can rise up to, to address this very, very significant issue. I, 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 as I told you, I've been involved in scholarly publishing for 20 some years. I, I'm not a publisher. I'm on the business side. But my goal has always been to try to find those answers to different diseases uh, or different situations. And those answers could be all over the world. And so... Valid point. I, I, I will take you up on that. That's a wonderful idea. And then, of course, we'll have you back on the show <laughs> to, to talk about that experience. Okay. Um, so are you and Dr. Kim planning any future collaborations yes. b- beyond? Okay. Of course. Now that I've defended my, my dissertation, I have all the time in the world. <laughs> of course, my friends say, well, maybe you should relax and catch up on sleep. But I say, of course not. Um, catch up on Games of Thrones or something. Yeah. <laughs> House of Cards is coming up. That's too. right. <laughs> um, there are grant ideas coming okay. up. Um, 
kind of taking this idea and talking about that transition piece we were talking about that in between the K-12 yes, and yes. higher ed that we want to explore. So so the summer probably will allow us to to think about new projects um, and really take the next step forward. And um, what do you think the scholarly publishing community can do to help in this cause? That's a wonderful question that I do not know if I have the answer to. I, I think... I think it's not only advocating for text options like this, but also what you were saying before of increasing accessibility for any text available. So yes, our book topic is important. Of course, I'm a little biased in saying that. Of course, that. of course. And and more books should be coming out that that discuss this in greater detail. But to have a publishing agency agency to say, you know what? This book, it might not have anything to do with disability, but you have options. You have options in your accessibility needs so that you could still enjoy it, that you can still have access to it, that you could still be a part of this conversation. You know, uh, prior to me getting to scholarly publishing, I worked for Dow Jones and Financial News, and it was, it was a fabulous career. But when I went to work for Elsevier, and I saw that the work that I was doing in some small way was playing a part to, to make mankind better. And so now I have been opened up to the issues around accessibility mm. and disability, and um, I cannot stop talking about it uh, because it's I hope so you important. Don't. I cannot stop <laughs> talking about it. And um, so what, what advice would you give to the parent who has a child with a disability who is about to graduate from high school and going into college. I hope the conversation is just not at the point of graduation. I hope that it occurs as early as freshman year, maybe even sophomore year, because it takes that much time to, to make sure that, even if you don't have a disability, thinking about college is pretty daunting. I, I remember having very, foggy conversations with my parents of, you know, is college right for me? What do I want to do? And it was about that junior year, that third year mark, and I still felt rushed. So not having a disability, that was rushed for me. So that additional variable of, okay, is this campus accessible? Can I get to my classes? Uh, do they have activities that, that will be advocating for my needs? Um, that has to happen the first and second year so that when they not only say, yes, I want to go to college, they know that they have options, that they have the ability to, to tease out, you know, not all colleges will feel right, not because of their functioning level, but because they didn't want that college and they should have that freedom. So I think it shouldn't happen at graduation. I think it should be as early as, as your first day of high school because it takes time and because there's such variation and accessibility in colleges in the United States and, and worldwide that we want to make sure that you successfully enter, persist, and complete. Wonderful. Um, let's see. Yeah, we have a, just time for one more question. Um, when, you, when you think about colleges and universities, is there a list of preferred institutions that really 
uh, do a great job in working with students with disabilities? Is there a, like a top 100 a, list? I don't know if there is a formal list. I have seen, I, I'm on different listservs related to disability and higher ed and disability support services. And I think there have been informal conversations. I don't know necessarily if there is a formal one. If one of your listeners knows of a formal one and can correct me, I would love it. Um, but I imagine there is probably a blog somewhere to, to have that informal conversation, but there should be really. We, we should make sure that anyone would know, you know, this is a very hilly environment, this might not work. Or, you know, this is in a very loud environment, how, how does that affect my stress yeah. or anxiety level? So. Like there's a uh, Dr. Jamie Axelrod at the University yes, of uh, North Arizona. NAU, yes. Do you know him? Uh, I I've seen he, him at the uh, head he, conferences. He was he was on my panel, and I'm I'm probably he's probably going to he be is a, wonderful. a keynote speaker at the SDM Frankfurt conference coming up in October. Um, I actually believe he's the the current. He's on either the executive board or the president of AHEAD right now. Yeah, he, that's right. You're absolutely right. Phenomenal guy. Yes. Really phenomenal. <laughs> I had the opportunity of meeting him this past. On uh, February at the uh, Professional oh, Scholarly Publishers great. meeting, but yeah, so um, yeah, I tell you, it's it, it. In one sense, it's a small world, but there's just so much work to do. But I want to thank you for coming on the program, ladies and gentlemen. We are here with Dr. Catherine C. Aquino and uh, Dr. Yunin Kim, who are the co-editors of Disability as Diversity in Higher Education, Policies and Practices to Enhance Student Success. You can find it on Amazon.com. It's with Rutledge Press. Thanks again for coming on the Thank program. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this week with Leadership with Darrell Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Have a great weekend, but remember, leadership begins with you.